Hey Zwifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is The Zwiftcast. Welcome to a special episode of the podcast for Zwifters from Friedrichshafen in Germany, the home of the world's biggest bike show, Eurobike. And that hubbub you'll hear in the background throughout has two sources. One is the mammoth air conditioning system used to keep these giant aircraft hangars, they really are hangars, and for airships, at a reasonable temperature. The other is the sound of the bike industry at work, displaying its wares, striking its deals and checking out its competition. As over the past three or four years, the indoor cycling industry is well represented here. And over the course of this episode, we'll be sniffing out the kit that Zwifters will be interested to hear about. And chief amongst that, I think, may well be the smart bike tsunami, with Wahoo pulling off their usual trick of hitting Eurobike with a showstopper. Their kicker bike looks to be a well-engineered, climb-integrated, fully adjustable, not too heavy, a pretty damned expensive piece of kit. More on that and the finally shipping TAC Smart Bike later in the episode. But first, let's head over to Hall B, Stand 306 and go and see Zwift, who've also got a couple of tricks up their sleeve. Well, look who I found. Actually, I didn't just find him. Of course, we arranged to meet. It's Eric Slanger, the editor of Zwift Insider. Well, howdy, Eric. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing just fine. It's nice to be here, Simon. Yep, Eric's uh, first Eurobike. He's been overwhelmed as first-time visitors often are by the sheer scale of it. Um, Eric, and the sheer scale of this Zwift stand, I think, is the biggest it's ever been. Let's paint a bit of a word picture for listeners of Zwift's presence here. Um, the size of that screen. <laughs> the screen is definitely the centerpiece of, of Zwift's setup here. It's it's massive. It's the, the the avatars are actually life size on the screen. That's how big it is. And I, I keep seeing people who walk by and they just they take pictures just of the screen. They're in awe of it, Simon. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's unsurprising, actually, because ju- just kind of painting a picture for, for listeners here, it, it's curved for a start. Um, it's not l- like many, many, many big screens are. It's not a series of, like, big TVs bolted together. The clarity and the colours are absolutely amazing. Uh, it's a piece of work, mate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I'm with the man behind the screen, Jacob Fraser from Zwift. Je- uh, Jacob, give us your very grand title, please. Brand Experience Manager, Mr. Schofield. That's a hell of a grand title. <laughs> but uh, more importantly, you are the man that brought this this monster to Eurobike. I mean, it's so, so eye-catching. Um, give us some facts, Jacob. How big is it? So it's 30 feet wide by 11 feet tall. It's actually composed of 108 tiles that are 50 centimeters on either side. Um, We have a partner company out of Los Angeles called Sweetwater NEP. They actually brought one to our company offsite to demo the game. Um, One of their project managers is an avid Zwifter. I think he's a level 22 Zwifter. When he saw us starting to get into the esports world, he reached out to us through like a partnerships at Zwift.com type of inquiry, and we all were really excited by it. So uh, it's a really unique piece here in the Eurobike space, but more importantly is it kind of pushes us more towards the video game side of things. 
it's really immersive. It's like you're in there and, and the hard work that our game team and our art team put in should be represented fairly. So we went to the, the product team and given that Zwift is built in an entirely 3D world, we could essentially change like the camera angle on the motorbike, if you will, um, to have this super wide version of the screen. And when you watch the gameplay going through something like the Fuego Flats or the new Sequoia expansion, you just get an appreciation for all of the work that the art team's putting in. Every detail is in there, and on a screen like this, you can see it and, and basically stand in it. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it is absolutely stunning. Again, immersive. It's, it, it, it's insane. I mean, it is just <laughs> fantastic and a huge hit here at Eurobike. Um, I've seen a few comments online which would be along the lines of, uh, how do I get that in my pain cave? I'm <laughs> thinking that's not that easy. So it is possible. I wouldn't say it's that easy. Um, we as a company do not own this product whatsoever. We hire it from the company that does own it. Uh, but the question by our staff all the way up to Eric Min was raised, what if I did want it in my house? Uh, and honestly, the company we hired it for being an LA-based company works a lot in like movie production and with the executives, so they have an answer for that. This particular screen, again, 108 tiles, 30 feet wide by 11 feet tall, would be roughly a half million dollars if you did want it installed in your house. <laughs> there are movie executives who have something like it, so I'll, I'll give you the email if you want one in your house, I guess. I'm not sure that's an email I'd find particularly <laughs> useful. I'm grateful, though, I am for the offer, though, Jacob. Will we be seeing this at more um, Swift kind of real-life activations and events? <laughs> That might be a budget question. Uh, we'll have huh? to talk to the finance team about that for sure. I think it is something, I mean, we're obviously a technology company. We sit within the cycling space and the running space and the triathlon space, but trying to bring our product to life in the best way possible is, is obviously done through something like this. But you'll consistently see uh, uh, new improvements and new iterations from us. But nobody's talking about my favorite piece of the whole booth. Oh, uh, the blimp. Which is the 22-foot-long the blimp, which we do own, which you will see more of. Uh, but I'm sure we'll see the screen. And just last night, for example, uh, we had Tanya Erath and Krista Riffle from Canyon Sram Racing here. They participated in the Zwift Classics. And uh, very quickly, we just threw the screen or the race up on the screen and had them on the platform. And kind of all those esports wheels started turning in our minds. So you'll see it in esports, certainly. Um, as for marketing activations, I'm sure we'll find another use for it here and there. Thanks very much for your time, Jacob. Really interesting to hear about the, the technology behind that. And um, half a million dollars, listeners. and. Really? If anybody wants that email address, um, I'm sure we could get it for you. <laughs> Thanks, Jacob. Thanks very much, Simon. Right on! Well, we're sitting here. I mean, Zwift have just about every iteration, I think, of what really has been the story of this smart of this Eurobike, which is the smart bikes. Um, the Wahoo, of course, was the big eye-catcher. Um, Next to that, we can see a Watt bike, we can see a Stages cycling smart bike, we can see the Tax Neo smart bike, which um, is finally shipping. Um, are we looking at the future of indoor riding here, Eric, do you think? I think we're looking at part of the future, absolutely, for indoor riding. Uh, I, think the, I think the smart bike's going to going to meet a need in the market uh, for, for certain riders. I think some cyclists will, will prefer to just use the bike they have or a spare bike or not invest, you know, not spend two or three thousand dollars on a, a bike that only works indoors. But I think there's definitely a segment of the market um, 
for instance, I would say people who aren't outdoor cyclists but want to get fit. That's that's the first segment I would say. And then there's also uh, cyclists who are who are willing to make that investment, who want just a solid piece of kit that they know will stay indoors. There's there's definitely that group of people too. Yeah, I mean that first group of people who identified are, are critically important to the development of Swift's business. Eric Min has frequently talked about how important it is to get what are currently non-cyclists onto the platform. Uh, and these things, I mean, you could see them um, almost Peloton advert style. You could see these things actually in the home. Absolutely. Yeah, some of them, some of them might fit better in a, well, <laughs> so certain homes. A chalet in the mountain with a glorious view of snowy peaks and a yes. deck outside, that kind of place, you mean? Like we were discussing today, uh, it, if you believe the Peloton story, as soon as you buy one of these, it actually cleans your home and adds <laughs> windows to it. I was, uh, yesterday I was up on the second floor of Zwift's stand with Eric Min sitting at a table looking down and I said, you know, Eric, I've been hearing you talk for two or three years now about how smart bikes are coming and how we Zwift needs quality smart bikes on the market to grow to grow a segment. And I think it's finally happening here at this show. There's five or six of them. And he, he kind of smiled and nodded. And it was, yeah, I, th I think he's very happy to see it. And, well, they, they certainly have been a long time coming, but they do now just have the look of Game Changer about them particularly the, the, the Wahoo bike, actually. I mean, the engineering, we're, we're sitting looking at it right now, the engineering of it, the aesthetics of it may not appeal to everybody, but the adjustability of it, the integration of the climb, I mean, it's um, it's a good-looking piece of kit. Let, let's just graze briefly in, in the rich pasture of, um, of price. I mean, the... The, the, the initial online reaction, as, as you often see with these kind of innovations when they're announced complete with a large innovatory price tag, um, is how much? And I would never buy that. The problem is that, that we also saw that reaction when, when really, when smart trainers first hit the market. I mean, we, we went from a turbo costing as little as, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks was a good one up to kind of the $1,000 range for a smart trainer. But it hasn't seemed to have held back the march of smart trainers. I mean, do you think, let's call it $3,000, looks to be about, you know, there or thereabouts, looks to be about the price point. Um, do you think that's going to be a huge barrier for, for lots of people? Or are people actually going to swallow it because they think this is going to enrich their lives to such an extent that that kind of outlay is worth it? <laughs> It'll certainly be a barrier for some, but I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of the folks where that would be a barrier for they they might already have a bike set up, and that's not a, a big issue. I think that I think that indoor fitness market, the maybe you might call them the non-cyclist market. I think I think they're pretty open to spending twenty five hundred, three thousand. I mean that's that's the cost of a Peloton bike, yeah. right? Twenty five hundred bucks, and they they've sold a few of those. Yep, it's certainly going to be one to watch with, with, with enormous interest, which, which we will do. And just before we leave this, Eric, actually, um, I've not yet, I am going to jump on it, uh, I've not yet jumped on the, on the Wahoo bike. Uh, your impressions? Uh, felt great. It felt, it felt different than a kicker. I ride a kicker all the time. It, it didn't, didn't have the same feel as a kicker, but it wasn't a bad thing. It just felt different, it's, which makes sense because it's a whole different flywheel motor setup 
very solid. I like the climb integration, which you call it a climb integration, but that's kind of odd because it's nothing like a climb. It's a piston in the back, you know, it's, but it, it does, it tilts on the ups and downs, tilts smoothly. Uh, just, yeah, overall felt, felt very solid. I, I think it's a great piece of kit. Yep, it's the year of the smart bike. More on that later. Okay, let's just move on to um, traditionally Euro, uh, Eurobike Swift don't kind of make big announcements. This this year they they have, and and it is a big one actually. This is the launch of the FutureWorks kind of sub brand, and the first um, the first project under that is Swift trialing, uh, and um, Swifters will be able to try this. We think in about eight to ten days time. At steering, there's a special part of the Titans Grove course which is set up for steering um, and you use the Zwift companion app. Um, you've, you, again, I'm going to get on this later on today. I've actually only, only just arrived at Eurobike. I'm going to have a go on that later on today. Eric, you've had a, a good look at that and a good feel for it and a good ride on it. Um, what do you reckon? I have to say I was not a believer in, in all the talk of of steering coming in the last year or so, I've heard heard talk of it, and it never interested me that much. But I hopped on, and I'd say within a minute, I was super impressed. It it felt a lot more responsive and intuitive than I thought it would. Uh, the single track that you get to ride on that was that was part of the fun, I think, just having a, a very narrow road. But uh, the steering felt great, and I I can immediately see how it would add an entirely different dimension to, to racing on Zwift. So I'm, yeah, I'm super excited for it. I think it is literally going to be a, a game changer. I think it's worth perhaps defining steering for people. Um, I mean, I'm a real old hand at indoor cycling and I remember the tax, uh, the old virtual worlds that tax did and they had a steering mechanism. It was a, a, a gizmo you put underneath your front wheel. And the thing with that is you had to concentrate really hard to actually stay on the road. If, if you oversteered, you went off the road. And that, frankly, was pretty much nothing more than, than a pain in the ass. I mean, you don't want to do a training session and have to concentrate so hard on steering to actually stay within the parameters of the road in the game. It was just annoying that. This is completely different, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like you have bumpers on either side of the road. So if you don't steer, You'll uh, you'll still go forward. It, it slows you down, so you know keeping a keeping a good line on the single track keeps your speed up. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't feel like I had to be be dialed in perfectly in order to to enjoy the experience. But it will be interesting to see what it's like on a on a road setup where where you're used to doing more leaning than turning. You know when you're going. 30 miles an hour around a turn on, on the road, you're not cranking your handlebars to the side. You're just leaning the bike, and which which works with this. It, if all you do is lean a little bit, that uh, that works to turn you as well. So it'll be interesting to see the next iteration of this when it's actually on the wide roads of Watopia. The uh, introduction of FutureWorks as a coming a sub-brand, it's, it's, it's an umbrella. It's a little experimental area for Zwift. Looks to me as though that actually is a pretty smart work, smart move. I mean, the, the naming convention alone is quite smart. FutureWorks that immediately says to people, look, this may not be finished, but it's interesting. It's something that may be coming in the future. We're still working on it. But in the meantime, you can have a go on it and give feedback. 
been a long time coming, something like that from Zwift, but very, very welcome, I think. Yeah, I think it's super smart because we, we live in this world now where everything's labeled beta and that means different things to different people. Like, um, like when Google rolls out something that's beta, you don't expect it to break. But it used to be that's what beta meant. Beta was, it was going to be broken, it's okay if it fails, it's a, it's a test version. But now it's, yeah, it means something different. Uh, it, and, and Zwift has rolled out beta features before, but you don't really know in game that it's a beta feature, and it just angers people when it, when it doesn't work quite right. So I think it's very smart to put those under, to put them in a silo, you know, and, and label them future works and make it very clear to something we're testing. And it also, I, I think it, it, it lets the community see that Zwift does value them. And Zwift has said all along that they do, but this, this I think speaks a lot to that and says we, we really do value your input. Here's a feature that's specifically labeled in a way that uh, helps you see that we need your feedback to, to really perfect this, so, so help us out. I think it's a great move. Yeah, and it sets expectations as well. It's um, it's a smart piece of branding, and uh, not only that, a, a welcome development to see these kind of features making their way into the game. Um, I've heard rumours that we might see two other FutureWorks projects this winter. I, I literally have no idea what they are, um, but I'm hearing maybe two other FutureWorks projects. What would you like to see next, Eric, under this branding? Well, I'm not sure if the, I, I know the club functionality is coming soon. Eric Mintz talked about that. I don't know if that's going to roll out under future works, but man, I sure would like to see that soon. Uh, sheesh, other than that, I, I'm really not sure. There's uh, so many potentially great features like, uh, like audio chat that we've talked about on and off. Rowing would be great. I've got, I've got my rower sitting at the home. And, and I row my, my Zwift cyclist around the course in a very non-intuitive way. So, uh, yeah, all, all those would be, would be welcomed by me, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a little playground, I think, for John Mayfield, the, the game's creator, and uh, be really, really interesting to see what those two new projects are. Um, hopefully, the Zwiftcast will be able to bring in news of those as soon as, as, soon as we know. Um, so, I think we ought to venture forth into the giant halls, Eric, and see, uh, see what we can see. Um, let's head, in fact, for Saris, because the other thing that Zwift have got um, on their booth here, I, I say booth, it's, it's, it's not a booth, it's, it's a kind of Zwift world here. Yes, it's, <laughs> um, but the other thing they have is, is the rocker plate, which I, I fear that piece of innovation may have been somewhat overshadowed by the smart bike explosion. But let's head over to Saris and see if we can find out a bit more about that. Let's do it. Delighted as I am to be accompanied by Eric Slungy at this year's show, and we'll be hooking up again shortly. Normally it would be me and my mate Shane Miller walking these halls, but the Lama has been detained by a new launch of his own. Just a few days ago, Shane and his wife Vaughn took delivery of a noisy little number. It didn't come with a manual. One Maxwell Miller arrived with little drama and a lot of joy. By the magic of podcastry, let's catch up with Shane back home in Melbourne. G'day, mate. So this uh, delivery arrived not via FedEx? No, actually. It, uh, it arrived uh, a little early. 
Um, it is as per spec though. So what was written on the spec sheet, it came out. It um, it went from purple to pink to, um, yep, standard color. It's, it makes some noise. So it's not up to 2019 trainer standards because it is a little noisy. Uh, flywheel <laughs> weight of 7.7 pounds. And yes, mum and bub are doing very, very well. Well, listen, uh, I, I know people will be interested and, you know, it's a special, special moment. Uh, how's fatherhood, fella? Um, everything they tell you that it's going to be, it's that and more. It's amazing. I cannot yeah. put it to words. Um, the, I was the first one to hold him because Von had an emergency C-section. He was booked in because Von is a product manager, uh, sorry, a project manager. So what she had it all scheduled in, it was a C-section on this date uh, because he wasn't spinning around and all that sort of stuff. It was all scheduled. He came early. Anyway, he was, well, I'll say it like it is, he was cut out and I was handed the baby and he started crying the first time and it was just amazing. And just when you get the first hold and the first look, um, everything is okay in the world. Everything is okay. Yeah, but yeah. I guess the reality hit was like what we see in the news these days and all the, I mean, we're a bit off topic at the moment, but I'll, I'll have a bit of a um, bit of an emotional rant here. Uh, all the things you see in the news, I sort of looked down at him and I said, mate, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm really sorry for the world that I'm bringing you in, but I'll do everything I can, everything to make it okay. So, yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it, about parenthood, you, you know, and particularly, as you say, without getting too deep on this, um, things are a bit messed up at the moment. And, you know, when you get a family, you just think, well, I'm going to do the best that I can yep. for my kids, you know, and, and there's nothing more kind of... Um, that instant bond, oh, like you say, yeah. when you when you when you first pick them up, and it's like I am going to look after you, my yep. lad. You know, it, you know, without getting too sappy about all this. Ah, yeah, I'm almost tearing up now. Actually, thinking about it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's beautiful. It really is. Well, excellent news, fellow. My, uh, my my best wishes, all of the best wishes of all the listeners of the podcast, and of course your massive online following. I know um, lots of people have been sharing your joy online, although you've been very sparing, and I think quite rightly with with pictures of young Maxwell. Yeah, look, I think the first one I put up was on Strava because if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. And I, to put the, the, the kid there in full blast, we see people do that all the time. So it was just a little sort of a shot of his little, his little hand clus, clusping around my uh, my thumb. And I think he was on one of my videos last night because he had the hiccups halfway through recording a video. So I sort of picked him up and held him at the end. So if you see the um, yeah, one of the trainer reviews I've done, right at the end, you'll see little Maxwell having hiccups. But it's not sort of full face shots. I'm sort of protecting my privacy as well but, yeah, um, yeah. and not sort of throwing it out there. Look, I'm a dad. I'm a dad. No, it's still about bikes. It's still work. And we're still looking for that trainer. That's the perfect trainer to buy. <laughs> and indeed, uh, indeed we are. And I'm just going to plunge back into your bike and I'm going to come back to you in a few moments. But we had to do that at the top of the show. And uh, great to hear that you're enjoying fatherhood so much, Shane. It is, it's a special, special time. It is. Well, Eric and I have wandered over to Hall A, um, to the Saris stand, which is pretty impressive, actually. And in front of us is uh, one of these uh, one of these strange people. I think they're employed by all the brands, basically, to ride a bike all day. Um, but he's riding um, the new Saris trainer. More from Shane on that later on. But more importantly, Eric, he's riding it on top of the production version, finally, of the Rocker Plate, known as the MP1 for Moving Platform 1. Um, you've had a good go on this, um, and we should say, before we get your impressions on it, you're a convert to Rocker Plates, aren't you? You've been riding one for forever. Yes, I'm a, I'm a true believer in Rocker Plates. I have a, a co-plate that I've used for about three years now. They're, they're made by a guy named Co Boone in the Netherlands. Um, you've had a good go on it. What, what do you think? It's a much, a much tighter Rocker Plate than what I'm used to. 
And, and the tension is not adjustable. You, you get what you're given. Right. It's a leaf spring that isn't adjustable. I actually talked to the Saris guys yesterday about it, and they said they had adjustability in some of their early prototypes, but they, they cut it out for cost reasons. And because they said people who aren't used to rocker plates seem to, be, seem to prefer the, the tighter approach where there's just a little bit of movement. So I think what this results in is a plate that's more about just a little bit of side-to-side -side movement that just adds a little bit of comfort, uh, just a, a, a little bit of rocking that I think you know relieves that the heat spots in the saddle. I will say the forward and backward, the fore and aft motion that this plate has, which is really what's innovative about it. That's the only plate on the market that, that goes forward and backward a little bit. So I do like that feel. I, th I think that, uh, that does add a little bit of, of natural feel to it. That, that part's cool. And again, a, a recurring theme at this Eurobike um, is, is price and, and cost of these things. I mean, the, kitting out the ultimate pain cave is getting ever, ever, ever more expensive. Um, Saris want, I think, retail 1,200 bucks for this. Uh, that's a chunk of change. That is a solid chunk of change. It is. I, uh, I can see where they arrived at that cost. I think based on based on their costs, it makes sense. I, I, I see where the costs are coming from, but are the consumers going to see <laughs> where the cost is coming from? Is it, is it worth it? Yeah, I guess the market's going to decide. To me, I, I think it looks really high risk, actually. I mean, the, the, they're limiting their market almost immediately just, just by the size of this thing. And that, that's not really their fault. I mean, if you're going to make a well-engineered product that's going to have a bike and a trainer on top of it, it's got to be pretty large. But um, as I said before, this is going to be pretty much limited to people who've got a permanent pain cave set up. Uh, it certainly ain't cheap. And not everybody is totally convinced about the rocker plate experience. They may be when they get a chance to try it. So I think this could be a bit of a tough sell. Well, I'm now with Brand Tirani, the uh, product manager for the, the Rocker Plate, the MP1, as I should probably call it, Brian. What's excited a good deal of comments in the, in the Zwift community, as you probably might expect, is, is the price of this thing. Are, are you confident you've got that right? I, you know, for what we think is going to happen, uh, we're, we're looking at what people have done in their basement, in their garage, uh, and obviously you can do it for much less at home. But if you want a finished product, something that looks good in your living room that you don't have to take up and down, uh, that can be part of your living space, I think it's the right price for that customer who wants a who wants something premium and finished, but just as functional as anything you could ever do in your your, your own space. The other aspect I think that that may pe give people pause for thought is particularly with rocker plates is it's so much about the experience, and if you're going to invest twelve hundred bucks. You might want to try it first. Do you have any plans to roll this out through a dealer network so people can try it? Uh, so any dealer that carries our product will be able to get a demo station. Uh, so we have a program that we're going to be rolling out this season. Uh, so you'll be, be able to get on the platform with an H3. There'll be a trainer desk there. You can see the whole ecosystem, and they'll have a display for a trainer app. So people will be able to try it in the dealer network across, across the US, I'm guessing. Um, Europe, sim similar kind of thing? Similar kind of thing, yeah. We'll have uh, our, our partners at Raleigh uh, are going to be doing some road shows. Uh, so we're going to be getting them products uh, soon after Eurobike, uh, within the next couple of weeks. So the NEC show, uh, they'll be de demonstrating there. Uh, and then they already have shops that they'll be lying in. 
One other aspect, which I'm sure I've given your logistic guys a bit of a uh, bit of grief. Um, shipping. I mean, this is a big old thing. How, what, what, how's it going to ship? Is it going to ship complete in a big box? Absolutely. Yeah. And I was super happy. Uh, you know, we'd looked at a couple of different options for getting it through parcel, uh, but ultimately we decided having it fully assembled in the box was the best way to go. Uh, so. Again, you can use it with almost any trainer on the market. So the only thing the user has to do after purchase, uh, most likely if you buy it at a shop, you'll take it out of the box there. Uh, it's a big box, uh, so you're not going to fit it in most vehicles. Uh, but something the size of, say, a, a Honda Fit, which is a common vehicle in the States, uh, you can get it in there out of the box. Uh, you take it out, uh, you put your trainer on, put your bike on the trainer, uh, make sure it's centered, and then start securing it down to the platform. So two straps and a wheel block, that's all you have to worry about. I don't think there's any doubt it's a good product. To me, Brian, it looks a risky product in terms of shifting you know, hundreds of thousands of, of these units. Would, would you agree with that? I, I would agree. Uh, this is something that we are, we are basing a lot of the future of our products on. Uh, this is the first salvo into the market where we've seen interest in creating your own type of platform and being the first to market with a platform that does a unique type of movement, the fore aft and the side to side, it's a trial balloon, let's be honest. Uh, we're seeing what the market responds to. Is it a product that they want, movement that they want, but at a price that's on or off? Or do we need to bring price down and deliver less features? It is, it is the first attempt at a brand new category of product. Uh, so there is, there is risk, there's no doubt. Uh, we're putting our necks on the line, but we're also very confident that once people try it, they'll be very confident, just like we are internally. Uh, we had doubters that have been won over. Uh, so that's, uh, it's, it's something that uh, we're, we're very excited for. You know, it's, it's not always comfortable to be first, but the payoff is going to be, uh, we expect to be very good. Well, it, it sure is a step up for the Bank Cave experience. And uh, kudos to Saras for, for taking the risk, you know. Um, good luck with it. And uh, thanks very much for your time today. Excellent. Thank you so much for stopping by. I can't wait to hear the comments and, uh, and read more from, from your listeners. There are actually three new products from Saris. They've also taken the opportunity to tidy up their branding, by the way. Cyclops as a brand is now retired. Everything is Saris. There's a desk. Um, it's a desk. It's got a power block built in. It's pretty chunky. It's functional rather than beautiful. Um, and finally, we have an updated hammer, the H3. Two words sum this up, cheaper and quieter. It's going out at $999 US and it looks a super solid unit, as all the hammers have been. Let's join Shane, who's been testing it out in the Llama Lab. Well, you, you're giving this a kind of eight and a half out of ten, aren't you? I mean, certainly quieter and certainly cheaper. Yeah, look, it's what the H2 should have been, and that's what we've got. We've got a cheaper, quieter hammer. That's what we have. The unit really shines in erg mode. Um, one of the tests in the Llama Lab is to bring it from 150 watts to 350 to 150 to 350 and then up to 450, really testing those erg mode changes and the stability over 20 seconds. This thing is brilliant, if not one of the best I've used. But again, not everything's perfect. And that's what our reviews are about, discussing the ins and outs. And look, the unit has a few rough edges. So the cadence calculation in uh, over Titan's Grove, which is really up and down on the pedals, is a bit wonky. I 
go as far as saying it's a bit drunk. So it needs a bit of looking at there. Sim mode hill climbs, I found what I call a bit of wattage robbery. So it's reporting a little low in hill climbs and those sprints. Well, we know what happens with the hammer and the H2 in the sprints. It overshoots just a little bit. There's a bit of work being done with the firmware and still a little bit more ironing out to be done. But Christ, it's 2019. We need to stop hoping for fixes and start seeing trainers that work out of the box. So yeah, overall, eight and a half. It's it's a really, really good ride though. That's the thing. The on pedals, when you're pressing on the pedals and riding your bike on it, it was really good. I used it for the hump day ride last night and did the end race lap on it. It was a solid workout, but just those few edge cases that we are paying for and we expect to be spot on, not quite there yet. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I'm going to sound a little bit kind of irascible and impatient about this, actually. I mean, there's some really good things about this. And I've got a hammer, actually. And I think the hammer's a great trainer. Um, and it is certainly a great price. I mean, it is now under $1,000. It's the cheapest high-end smart trainer out there. But this is the third iteration of this of this machine. And it comes with the same problem built in, which is that it's very generous on sprints. And, and you know, 100 watts on a sprint, that is the difference between winning and losing a race actually. And if we are now moving into a, a, a competitive, properly regulated, all singing, all dancing, well-funded, you know, esports world, well, these kind of things make a difference. And not only do they make a difference, Shane, this is a persistent problem. This is now the third iteration of the trainer with the same problem. Why can they not get these things fixed? Look, it might have been the way they calibrate or the way they certify them internally. It could have been they were using PowerTap technology in the past and still to this date, they've only just recently sold PowerTap. This may sort of, or this may open up the floodgates for them to use other ways of testing and certifying calibrating trainers. So I think it might be time for them to check out their calibration rig. And as you were mentioning, 100 watts in a sprint is win or loss, but also 10 watts up a 30 minute hill climb is also win or loss. So mm. it's the, sometimes it's the little things that count as well as the big things. So I don't know. Um, we're getting smarter and, and, and better technology on the bike and we're all getting access to cheaper and more accurate power meters to put these things to the sword. And again, it's 2019. These companies have to step up. or We're, we're sounding very critical, but I think it's we're coming from a good place. We want better products. I agree. Okay. Well, more from Shane later. He's had a lot of the new kit we're about to see for a little while and he's been putting it through its paces in the Llama Lab. But let's go a bit deeper on the stuff that's likely to grab the most attention. And after a false dawn last year and the year before, the one bit of equipment that Zwift CEO Eric Min has often described as a game changer for Zwift finally looks as though it's arrived properly. It's the smart bike. The TAC smart bike, based on the successful and popular Neo platform, was here as a pre-production sample last year and was supposed to launch to consumers last winter. It didn't. Looking at the buzz around it now on the tax stand, it looks like there'll be no messing about this winter. And Wahoo, arguably father of the smart trainer, let's not forget the critical importance of the kicker to the rebirth of the whole indoor cycling industry, is snapping at the Dutch company's heels. It's announced with some fanfare its own smart bike, the kicker bike. Well, I'm with Chip Hawkins, president of Wahoo. Um, Chip, you seem to have done it again. You seem to have um, stolen the show again. You've got a habit of doing that. <laughs> yeah, we we don't come here to, with the intent, but yeah, we had a really good um, launch of our kicker bike yesterday, and uh, reception has been wonderful. It's an exciting time for us. Lots of lots of blood, sweat, and tears went into that one. It uh, finally got it out for the world to see. I'm really proud of it. 
It's a very, very well-engineered uh, piece of equipment, as, as you'd expect from Wahoo. I mean, you've been to some extent lucky because there's been this hiatus, really, in smart bike development. Um, tax have only just finally started shipping. How, how long has yours been in, in development? You know, I've had that question a few times. I think um, it, we've been at it a couple of years, for sure, and it's been in my head since uh, way, way longer than that, but we've been, we've been developing in the background you know, for for quite a bit of time. Oh yeah, I mean the the, the hydraulics around the, the the tilt mechanism. What you know, basically the integrated climb is what people are calling it. But it's very different from the climb mechanism, is it not? It is. Um, you know, the the engineering involved in getting that bike to market was um, was incredible. Like the, between the climb mechanism, that's an that's a massive engineering effort on its uh, in its own right. Even the shifters, um, you know, if you look at what we've done, we built a set of shifters that are um, made for indoor, but feel like outdoor shifters. So you get six buttons on each shifter, but you still get the feel that people are used to. And you can put them on, on your own bars, whichever way, um, and then getting the shifting right. So uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a big effort overall. I think it's fair to say that online, in the kind of uh, in the communities where these things are going to be sold, I mean they're your markets. There's been, I would say, a pretty enthusiastic re re reception to the engineering, the design, the utility, the fact that it's an all-in-one out-the-box solution. There's no messing about with bikes. There's no putting your ten thousand buck carbon frame on a trainer. There's all of that stuff. But of course, as and I'm sure you've been prepared for this. There's a bit of back chat around price point. Now, I mean, all these smart trainers seemed, at smart bikes seem to be settling around the three thousand, three and a half thousand bulk price point. Where, where does that come from, Chip? Is this some kind of industry cartel, or is this, is this the natural price? You know, it's uh, I, it's a, it's a very tough spot to come from because everyone's used to trainers, and and they're settling in the you know six hundred to twelve hundred dollar range. And um, what you have to realize is that trainer doesn't come with the bike. And uh, and if you really if you really look at the technology in the kicker bike and you compare it to the technology in an outdoor bike, there's a lot more cost there. And it's a different kind of cost. It's a different kind of engineering problem. But you know we've got extremely complex electronic elect, you know electronics, expensive electronics in there. We've got more mechanical function and adjustability than uh, outdoor bikes so you know I it's a tough one no there's no cartel um, it's not a uh, you know it's not going to be our money maker it's you know I didn't want to get into this market without putting out the best product we could and um, and you know I'd love to sell it for less uh, if we looked at natural economics we would sell it for more so we're hoping to kind of um, you know whet everyone's appetite and let them see what um, what we can do and, and, and hopefully, you know, build a, a market around the indoor bikes. I don't want to upset you, but Kicker 18 has had, let's face it, th there have been some issues around, around production and, and policy control. I know you as a company have dealt with them generally from what I see in an exemplary fashion. Returns have been quick. Customer service has been right on the mark. Are you confident that with a new product like this, which looks to me to be a good deal more complicated than the smart trainer, are you confident that those kind of QA processes are not going to result in the, 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 the great team thing that we have seen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we've, we've recognized that we had issues in the past and we're doing, you know, 
go into tremendous efforts to solve those. This is a complex product. We've had over 100 in market being tested for a long time. Um, yeah, the fact that we were able to keep it secret until yesterday was, was amazing to us because it's the most tested product we've ever had. Um, so, you know, it's not to say it's going to be perfect, but um, certainly we have put it through its paces and are very confident in the product we have and, uh, and that we're going out with. I think we see a lot at Eurobike, not so much with Wahoo, in fact very rarely with Wahoo, is we get an announcement and then we get a promise on shipping and then a year later we've got no product. Um, like I say, you, you have not generally been guilty of, the, of that. You're talking 2020 for this. Are you definitely going to be able to ship in quantity in 2020? We are. I mean, we're producing today. It's just we're producing at a pace and a rate that's comfortable, that we know we have the quality and the uh, the, the full intention is to continue to ramp that as, as we uh, gain confidence in the processes in the factory. And um, yeah, the, you know, we hope there's a tremendous demand and we're fighting that quantity as long as, uh, as, long as, as we have to. But, um, but yeah, we will, we will be shipping first to next year. We're shipping in the U.S. You know, very soon. And, um, and yeah, we, we, uh, we don't like to talk about a product before, we can, before we're ready to ship it. And so we, we are ready to ship it. Talking about shipping, the actual process of shipping, I mean, walk, again, walking around Eurobike here, we're, we're seeing increasing numbers, particularly in the indoor space, of large, heavy, hard-to-ship products. Has that, guys, given you a bit of grief in, in, in the conception of this product? It, well, we, we took that into account um, in a very, I mean, we took, we've been very careful in how we do it. It ended up at 50 kilograms, so it is um, not a light product, but it's, it's extremely easy to assemble. Um, it comes in a box, isn't it? It does come in a box, but um, there's, there's four bolts from the box to shipping. The instructions are all animated in our app on how to do it. Um, and, and, you know, depending on the, the, the market, we'll have white glove service available. So, you know, if you don't want to get the box and put it together, someone can come in your, in your house and, and build it for you. But it's, it's really, uh, you know, I'd say getting it out of the box and getting it set up isn't a lot different than getting a kicker and then bringing your bike and putting it on it. I think, and, and just finally, um, I'm, I'm asked the guys at Saris this, um, to an extent, you, you're, you've got a kind of a new product category here with the smart bike. It's heavy, it's hard to ship, it's complicated, it's a big engineering process, and it's expensive. How, it, I'm not saying it's not value for money, but it is expensive. How big a risk does this represent to you, this product? Um, I don't look at things as risk. I look at them as opportunity, I guess. That's a very American answer, Chip. <laughs> yeah. The risk is taken. We have we have put the sunk, you know, all cost is sunk at this point. We put the investment in and we just have to make it successful. Make sure everyone knows about it and everyone loves it. Always great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh, Shane Wahoo, they're pretty good at show stealing at Eurobike. And I suspect that, um, I mean, we'll have to wait till the end of Eurobike, but I suspect the Wahoo smart bike might end up being the show stealer again. I was hoping for another kicker. Every year we've had a kicker for the last, <laughs> what, three or four years? What, no new kicker? What's going on? Look, yeah, look, the bike has been cooking for a while now. I've seen some early prototypes. Um, very, very interesting. And I think what they've had the chance to do is look at what everyone else is doing in 
the smart bike arena or what people have failed to do, other companies have failed to do and improve on it already with their first product. So I'm excited about this one. I haven't got one in the Llama Lab, so I'm going to have to reserve judgment on it until I put one through the Llama Lab test. But look, I'll know more about it then. But uh, until that time, I'm keeping my credit card in my pocket. Um, so, hmm, interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and of course, no one's had a chance to ride it or test it properly yet. I mean, this this is this is a launch. It should be a different matter, of course, for the tax smart bike, which um, uh, we both stood and looked at uh, this time last year in Eurobike. And I think both of us said, if that makes it onto the market by um, September, or end of September, which we were, they were promising, we'd both be very surprised. And, if, and indeed, uh, so it proved to be the case, um, you know, a year late. But they must have done lots of good work in that year. Actually, it was over a year ago because Eurobike was in July last year. Yeah, yeah. And they've wheeled it out again in 2019. And they now say it's shipping. The problem tax have, tax slash Garmin have, is they've lost the excitement of a new product. It's legacy news now. So people won't look at this and go, oh, look, a brand new product. Everyone's like, oh, that's the bike we saw last year and the year before. And still, we haven't seen any legit on-bike ride experience reviews. So until they come out, it's, well, still up there as a bit of an unknown. Uh, well, I'm now at the tax stand. Uh, I'll generally make an attempt with French names or even Italian names, but I give up on Dutch names. So I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. Um, yeah, my name is Maria de Gruyter and I'm PR manager at Tax. Um, Maria, the Tax Smart Bike has been two or maybe three years in the making and then Wahoo have come along with their Smart Bike this year. Have they stolen your thunder? Uh, no, I don't think so, because uh, the bikes are different, and I think it's good that there are more smart bikes on the market. Um, if you ask me, uh, the virtual shifting that we have, that is kind of a unique feature. Um, so I think that two bikes are different, and it's good for the market. I think one interesting thing to look at is is, is not not so much the technical details of, of, of the bike, which people will be interested in, but the aesthetics, the way they look, because these things are designed not for the garage or the basement. They're designed, I think, for the home. Um, and some people walking around here have told me that they think the, the tax bike is the more attractive aesthetically of the two. Is that is that a consideration? Um, I think what we try to do is make a bike that fits into your home. Um, so it's not a fitness bike uh, or something you have to put in your garage. Uh, what we did, for example, is that there are two wheels on the back, so you can easily move it around. So if you cannot have it in a separate room, you can easily um, um, place it to the other side of the room. So I think that is really handy. And who do you think you will sell these bikes to? I mean, Tax is a company all about cycling. It always has been. And I know certainly a lot of people who work there are cyclists. And, you know, cycling is, is in your DNA. Is this going to be marketed at hardcore cyclists? Or do you see this catering to a different market? I, I, I more or less think both. I think if, if we talk about a cyclist, um, some of the people... Uh, will have a spare bike for their home trainer. Um, but if you don't want to put your road bike uh, indoors on your trainer, then you, you can easily use the smart bike. And you don't have to swap the bike anymore and you can adjust the settings of the bikes completely the same as your road bike. So then you have the really, really smooth ride feel uh, on the Neo bike. 
uh, instead of using your own bike. Um, but on the other hand, if you are in 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 an uh, living in a situation where are, there are two people riding the home trainer, then you can easily um, uh, re adjust redo the adjust the yeah. settings. Yes, thank you. Um, so that makes it more easy as well. But I think that um, there might be people that are interesting in uh, riding indoors, uh, but they are not willing to buy a trainer, a bike, or and all the stuff. So in that case, this bike could be a better option for them. It has been delayed. I mean, you know, it was going to ship this time last year. So just give us a little bit of insight into into what, what, what the cause of those delays has, has been. Um, there was like one big reason for that delay, and that is because of the certification process. Um, this bike, um, they compared it with a spinning bike. But the certification process for the spinning bike is way different than for a smart bike like like this. So I guess the product is um, too new uh, to the certification process. So they had to make changes into that. And that took really, really long. So that was more or less out of our hands. But now we are there. Um, if you look at the kind of reception online and in the indoor training community to your bike, uh, the kicker bike and, and other smart bikes, I think, you know, to sum it up, people are saying, hmm, that looks really nice, I'd really like one of those, but that is a hell of a lot of money to pay. Um, it, do you think, you know, there's a kind of re-education process to be done here? A bit like when we moved from cheap turbos to smart turbos, people had to get used to the idea of spending, you know, $1,000 or €1,000 on a smart turbo. Is, is there a similar kind of leap that consumers are just going to have to make? I can't look into the future, so I don't know if they will, uh, if it will change. But uh, I do think that if you start riding it and if you know what you get, um, most of the people are saying like, then if I if I know what I get, it's not a lot of money. And if you need uh, a bike and a trainer, then if you compare that to the price of the smart bike, then it's not that much but yeah it is more expensive than a normal direct drive trainer do, do, do you see this as a big risk for the company i mean it's 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 a new category of products it is expensive you know what if you make you know fifty thousand of these and they don't sell no i don't think it's a risk i think it's an opportunity because i really do think that people will like riding it so i consider it more an opportunity than a risk that's exactly what Chip Hawkins from Wahoo said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then we agree on that. <laughs> Let's move on briefly to the to the Tax Neo 2T. Um, I have a Neo 1, and I, you know, I've said this many times on the podcast. I love my Neo 1, but when I see the Neo 2 and the Neo 2T, I, 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 I find it hard to see a convincing reason to change from the Neo 1 to the Neo 2T. Have you kind of been a bit of a victim of your own success with the Neo One? I think the Neo One was is a really good trainer, and it's on top of the trainer market for quite a couple of years. Um, so if you look at it that way, yes. But if you see what we changed now, then I really think we improved 
the NEO technique that we already have. And because of that, I think uh, we were able to even make a better trailer. Um, well, we've done the tax smart bike chain, so we, we, we won't repeat that. The tax NEO 2T, which is, by my calculation, is really the NEO 3, is it not? Yeah, look, this is pretty much what the Neo 2 should have been. I think what we saw in the last few years, we've just seen slight changes and just a bit of a new paint job or a few features here and there, but this is definitely a step up. Look, I'm still in early stages of my hands-on with the Neo 2T, and by early stages, I mean I've done seven Llama lab tests over three days, and I'm having some interesting dialogue with Tax about this trainer. Look, on paper, they made a better Neo, and on paper, this unit outperforms the Neo 1 and Neo 2. It has native through-axle support, it's quieter, it's more powerful and that it does address the virtual tire slip but they overlooked one key area and that was the user experience now this is with the initial firmware that i have and it's what i'd call overperforming in a few areas the few areas you'd expect when they make something a lot more powerful so i've got some beta firmware to test out and i'll report on that but look this this kind of work should have been done six months ago not six days out from uh, from eurobike which is what i've been doing in you know, throughout my testing here. But again, stay tuned. My trusty Neo 1 still takes pride of place in the Llama Lab, keeping things honest. And the 2T should blow that away in every aspect. And it might, but it hasn't yet. But we're kind of back to the, the, the hammer discussion, aren't we here? You know, you would have expected by the third iteration of this trainer that it would be significantly better than the Neo 1. I, you know, I, you and I spend a fair amount of time talking and reading and, and knowing about this, this stuff. We're, we're deeper in the weeds um, than, than most people on it. My trainer of choice, Shane, remains the Neo 1. I, I see no reason whatsoever to put my hand in my pocket to buy one of the new tax Neo trainers. Now, that there's something wrong with that, isn't there? Yeah, look, they really, yeah, the reason being is they nailed it with the Neo 1. They were ahead of their time. They did really, really well. Look, the only thing I'll say is the virtual tyre slip. So if you're riding the um, the Giro d'Italia time trial course with that really nasty kick at the end and you can go really hard on the pedals, you can get that thing to slip out a little bit. But 99% of the time, the Neo 1 is an absolutely brilliant unit. So they've done themselves a disservice doing it so well. And again, this, this unit, it should be blowing it away in every aspect. I think it's a little different between the Hammer and the H2 and the H3. That's very similar. The 2T, again, is too powerful. It's it's too good on paper. But on paper is one thing. On the pedal is another thing. And that's where that's the experience that I look for. I'm always searching. This is why my obsession exists with trainers. I'm looking for that perfect trainer. I'm looking for that Le Mans revolution of the smart trainer world. We still haven't quite found it yet. And the further we go down this rabbit hole and the further more te- you know, the technology sort of improves and we start using them in different ways, it's going to be harder to get there. But we're still not there. But look, this is something that could be fixed in firmware and we'll be doing everything we can to try and get there with firmware. But uh, hmm. Yeah, but how often have we... How often have we heard that, Shane? This is something that will be fixed too often. in firmware. You know, <laughs> too often, too often. Okay, let's move on. Now, to be fair to tax, which I always like to do, um, Shane was operating, he had a few grumbles, um, and he was operating on a previous version of firmware. He did he did actually take delivery of a new version of firmware, which fixed many, I don't think quite all, but fixed many of the grumbles he did have about the Neo 2T. It is a good deal quieter, it is a good deal more powerful, but I'm still not personally convinced it's enough to make me buy it i'm still pretty happy on my near one um so i moved on after tax to go and find 
the lowdown on a bit of a surprise actually which was stagers at the show with their smart bike yet another smart bike stagers of course best known for their power meters um, so I toddled off to the stagers stand to find out more about their surprise smart bike well I'm with Jim Stemper director of program management at stagers cycling hi Jim hey how's it going uh, well, it's Eurobike, isn't it? So, you know, it's busy and noisy and crowded, so but <laughs> exciting. Um, Jim, Stage of Cycling now, uh, the latest entrant to what's looking like a pretty crowded market now in, in smart bike development. Um, what was your thinking in getting involved in this? Yeah, as of today, it seems to be very crowded, doesn't it? Uh, for us, as uh, a company for the last 10 years that's been really, really active in the indoor market. Uh, we already sell commercially to tons of clubs all over the world, including SoulCycle and Equinox's bikes. Uh, we felt uniquely skilled in this space to take what we've learned from 10 years at stages and then the team that started this company comes from lots of indoor bike experience and bring the outdoor rider inside on what we've learned. So what our bikes currently are and then what they can be for the outdoor cyclist. I mean, you do have a big heritage, a long heritage, uh, heritage in this, which a lot of people won't realise, of course. You've been making basically spin bikes for, for a long, long time, um, although people may not associate you with that. Um, yours is, I mean, it's a big old thing, isn't it? Um, do you, how important do you think aesthetics are going to be in this market? Uh, it's a cool new thing. Uh, no, we think that the aesthetic part of the bike is very important. We've done a lot of work around how to make the bike look something that's attractive and sexy, not only just to the most hardcore road user, but to everybody that may encounter this bike at the home. So this, a smart or an indoor bike is not necessarily one person's bike. An indoor bike very well, a, a big part of a huge purchase like this may be, will my, I mean, for a lot of people who are doing this are men. Is my wife interested in riding this bike? Are my kids interested in riding this bike? And so when it comes to what does it look like, there are some, not limitations, but there are some philosophies we have and what makes the best indoor riding experience. And that may be having what look like forks down the side and having the flywheel in the front instead of the back. Those are done for reasons uh, that we think makes the indoor bike a better experience. And so that does present some limitations on what you can do aesthetically with a bike, especially one that, you know, you want to have a really good feel and you want to be very durable. I, I, there's no doubt. I mean, it, look, it's got durability written all over it. But also, to be fair, it looks more like a spin bike than a smart bike. I think if you stood people in front of it and said, which is a spin bike, which is a smart bike, you know, they'd probably say the Wahoo or the Tax looked more like a smart bike. I mean, is that... Are you sacrificing a bit of form for function here, or is the whole thing that this is a big, durable, solid piece of kit much more important to you? Uh, I think for us, it's the feel. When you get on this bike, if you were to ride it next to the other bikes that you're mentioning, um, you're going to notice the feel of the bike. And so our flywheel is very big, very heavy. And the reason we want to do that is because the momentum that you feel when you ride a bike needs to be mirrored indoors and so instead of driving the flywheel trying to give kind of a, a fake experience of what a ride may be outdoors 
we try to emulate it with the physical nature of the bike itself. So it's interesting that people are indicating it looks like a spin bike and not a smart bike. However, all the components of the smart bike are there. You know, all of the technical requirements for it to be a smart bike, you know, controlling the trainer with Zwift or any other connected application, controlling it manually with buttons, uh, using the brakes to actually give yourself more resistance on the flywheel, that's all there. And so when you look at the tax and you look at the Wahoo, I think maybe some of the feedback they may be getting is that's kind of a, that's, it's, it's like a art project maybe, or something that's kind of like a, uh, how do you say, maybe something you'd see a in a- Design item. Yeah, sure, sure. And I think you're right in saying that ours probably looks more functional. Um, and maybe that's just because it is. You know, I have ridden the other bikes for sure, and I think there's some great things about them as well. Um, but we do start from a product requirements perspective and then move towards the ID afterwards. We think that the most important thing is if you're going to ride this thing every day for an hour indoors, it has to feel good first. And then the looks have to come second. I don't mind the way it looks, though. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying it's ugly or anything. But, but like you say, the other, the other two look as though they might have had more. For sure. Might we say kind of artistic input, maybe. Um, they are let, making a statement for sure. Let, let, let's talk about price. Um, I mean, what, what, what's the price point on your bike? Right now, we're communicating between twenty-six and twenty-eight hundred dollars US. We're still in the final parts of determining what that will be. This show is extremely informative to us. We did have an idea that Wahoo is going to come with a bike to this show. We wanted to see where they were. We see that they're at $3,500, and so we're feeling very good about that. Uh, and we know the tax bike, obviously, that's been out for a long time. And then the Watt bike, I don't think we have final pricing on that yet, but we know it's going to be a little lower. Um, and we're in the final stages of, the, of finishing the product, so the final cost of it to us is not completely known, but we know for sure between $2,600 and $2,800 is, is definitely where we'll be. So you're going to come under the, what, what is now looking to settle a, a kind of $3,000 mark, where, which is, you know, <clears throat> some of the brands are going to be higher than that, but you're going to be just lower than that, which is probably almost certainly going to give you a bit of an advantage, I would have thought. Do, but even so, even at that, it's a big chunk of change for people. I mean, do, do you think entry to this ownership of these things, do you think this, these, this relatively high price is going to be a big barrier or, or do you think you can overcome it? I think it is a barrier, probably because that's what everyone's talking about, right? So it must be. We're all thinking yeah. about it naturally. Um, I think that the arguments for the price, I mean, it's not like we're making a ton of money on the bike and it could be a lot less, right? Like we talked about earlier in the interview, it's a really robust bike. It's built really well. It's ready to withstand a lot of abuse. Um, and also the control systems have to be good and that comes with a lot of complicated electronics. Um, although I guess motors aren't too complicated, they're just expensive. <laughs> uh, but the price of it and the barrier to entry is a huge deal and like I said a little earlier, does this purchase get more justified when you think another person in the house can ride it? When you start to think about, well, it works with Zwift, great, but is there an app that someone else in my family may want to use that's not Zwift? And of course the bike works with those other apps as well. 
um, really where it's kind of coming now. And I'll see, someone made a great point on the Wahoo forum, like, you really guys, like $3,500, I could, they have a nice package where you can get the climber, you can get a kicker and a climb and a, a fan for $1,600 or something like that, and then 300 bucks for their stand. And then they're like, I could buy a $1,900 road bike, have all that, and then ride your, and then have the smart bike, right? So I, I think that a lot of people are gonna have a hard time with the price but when you think about the indoor experience and you think about what's going to reduce my barrier to entry to exercise, I think a lot of people start to see the value in not having to set up their bike. How many indoor rides do you miss a year because you just don't want to go through getting it set up? Having something in the house, dedicated, ready to go, that literally may just require refilling your water bottle, that is going to really help a lot of people exercise. which. Indoor fitness being our specialty in the biking space, like we've been making power meters forever, outdoor, that's where we are in the outdoor, but we understand the aspirational part of fitness and we understand that the lower the barrier to entry just to exercising, people find value in that. And so I think that's where the bikes do have value, right? They're a whole $1,600 more than a smart trainer. But to some people, they'd even say, you know, like, oh God, I'd pay those tolls to not sit in this traffic every day you know like their time is valuable i do think that there's a value proposition in people's time and and also the feel of these bikes is better than when you take your super expensive road bike crank down on the axle on it and you're you are hurting that bike um I'm going to ask you the same question of us Tucks and Wahoo, who gave me an identical answer, actually, so it'd be interesting to see if, if, you, if you give me the same one. <clears throat> this is a new product category. I imagine there's been significant, um, although maybe less significant for you, but significant investment in research and development. There'll be a marketing cost to get this, this message out to consumers. Do you consider this to be a risky project? For us, a risky project? Uh, no, not for us. Um, we know how to make these bikes. We have lots of experience in the pitfalls. We've had people clean their, our bikes with acid and come back with problems and go, oh, and, and we've made adjustments for things like that. We thought about how to clean them. Everything we've learned from the indoor space makes this a very low risk product for us, for sure. Um, and then also our experience with power. So we have left-right power on these bikes and no one else is doing that. Uh, we know how to make power meters. We're confident in that they'll be accurate. We're confident that the warranty rate on them will be extremely low. We know what it'll be essentially. Um, we have bikes very much like this, 65 a piece, in clubs all over the world. Like we like to say, more people are probably riding a Stages product every day than a lot of the biggest bike brands in the world. If you think about Lifetime Fitness's membership is 80,000 people or something like that. USA Cycling's membership is 60,000. So we think about all the people that have vetted this bike. For us, this is an, a very low risk proposition. Interesting, completely different answer ah, from Tarks and Wahoo, yeah. <laughs> who both said, this is not a risk, this is an opportunity, which sounds like a PR line to me, well, but. Okay, guess what, I'm an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, I mean, that's. That's been very uh, illuminating and uh, interesting discussion, actually. Um, uh, I think I'll say the same as I've said to all the others, which is, you know, anything that enriches the indoor 
cycling experience for people is, is to be applauded. So good luck with the product. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, look, uh, last, last, last bit with you, Shane. Let, let's just do a bit of an executive summary. I mean, Eurobank's always exciting. It's always great to see new products. It's great to see the indoor world well represented. It's great to see trainer companies innovating and, and giving us new products year after year after year. But there's a big but coming here. Are we actually moving forwards? Are we treading water? Or in some cases... Have we actually gone a bit backwards? Hmm. Hmm. Let me have a think about this one. Look, I think 2019 is going to be a bit of a reality hit for trainer manufacturers to get their operations in order. And the reason being is the consumer market now is razor sharp. They know what's going on and you can't pull a PR sheet in front of them and say, look, buy this. They no longer rely on GCN reviews to purchase and what they're promoting over there. And people see beyond spec sheets now. Whilst we love spec sheets, I dive through them, I talk about them, we look at them, but it's not about AMP plus FEC, Bluetooth, FTMS, plus or minus 2%, 20% gradient. These things are all expected. What people want to know about is the ride experience. And that does include pulling something out of the box and having it work first time. Not hoping, not sending thoughts and prayers to the firmware gods to fix things. These should be working out of the box. This is one of the areas where the smart bikes need to nail it. If they can nail that ride experience, that user experience, they've got a winner there. People will move away from these direct drive trainers because they're becoming problematic. People looking for what differentiates these new units in 2019 from what was on the market last year and the year before? The answer at this point, it's not much. I'd have to say this year's probably been a bit of a failure all around. The direct drive market is now vulnerable. Someone could come in without any of the legacy and do better. So... I'm sort of a bit nervous for the industry, but uh, again, word of advice there, pick your reviews very carefully before spending any money. And uh, again, disclaimer on my little rant here, I just want to see the market move forward, do better and be better. If we can all remember back to when we jumped on that very first smart trainer and went, wow, the hills really exist or erg mode. It's like, oh, it's making me work so hard. This is a game changer. What we need is more game changes to keep that excitement in the market. We don't want delays. We don't want shipping delays. We don't want shipping in only certain markets. We want worldwide shipping. We want things working. We want that experience shared across the world because we're a global market. We all talk together 24-7 around the globe, sharing those experiences. And it's not quite living up to expectation in 2019. I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I differ with you on one point, which is I'm, I'm not sure although of course you don't know what you don't know, but I'm, I'm not sure space remains for another game changer, like for instance, you know, the very first kicker was. But I do think there's a reasonable expectation amongst what is now, as you, as you rightly point out, a, a constituency of highly educated and pretty discriminating consumers who, you know, again, let's not forget this, are dipping their hands deep into their pockets for, for, for a lot of this kit. There is an expectation that things will improve, if not in leaps and bounds, but certainly improve in a linear fashion. And I'm not terribly sure you're about 2019 has given us that. Look, I think uh, it was funny, Ray and I, DC Remaker and I were discussing this the other day and I said, look, could someone come into the market and revolutionise everything? Is that Peloton or is it someone like Zwift? And Ray thought it might have been Peloton who could come in and make a better bike, a better experience and just blat the market and just totally win everything. I think it's Zwift though. I'll put my Zwift fanboy hat on. It's the Zwift cast. I think Zwift are in a position to again, have a look at where everyone else has failed and do better. It really wouldn't surprise me if they've got bike ideas that could do better than everything. But again, it comes down to that ride experience. It's got to be 
perfect and it's got to be something you're going to tell your neighbor about, tell your next best friend about, tell your bunch ride about, because that's how this all started. That's how we got to where we are. We need to keep it growing though and keep it progressing forward. You're about 2020. We await then with great eagerness. And I take it, I, I take it where <laughs> young Maxwell will be, will be a, a whole year old by that point. I, I'm very early to make plans, but we'll be seeing you next year. I think at Eurobike, won't we, Shane? Oh, look, for sure. I love Eurobike. It's It's been a bit of a progression, I think, Simon. I think we shared your first Eurobike was there and I sort of took you around. I was there for a few days prior to you coming over and it's just unbelievable. The first year I was like, or the first day, I think it was like, I don't belong here. This is a mate. This is too big. I don't know where I am. I got lost. The second year, you start establishing relationships with companies and things. The third year, it's old hat. You're catching up with friends. So I'm really, really disappointed I'm missing out this year. I've got a good excuse and I've been working my butt off um, remotely with all this hard hardware and all the uh, things that are coming out for Eurobike. So I'm across everything, but I just like to be there in person. I, I'm going to miss the um, the bad food. I'm going to miss those traffic jams. I'm going to miss those <laughs> summer storms that come through and get you wet. I'm going to miss the fact that it's in the worst place in the world for accommodation. Oh, it's going to be hard not being there, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has its ups and its downs, Eurobike. That much is for sure. Uh, Shane, as always, mate, a, a great, great pleasure, uh, particularly to talk to you as a father, I have to say. Um, but, but a great pleasure to get your your fabulous insight and, and expertise. And, I, you know, I think the Lava Labs now have emerged as the definitive test, actually. I'm pretty sure that when the, the guys at the trainer companies label them up for uh, Melbourne, they do so with a little trepidation these days, perhaps. I think some of them try and sidestep the Llama Lab, but if they try that, I'm going to go out and buy the uh, retail unit off the shelf anyway and put it through its paces. The Llama Lab has to be one of the most comprehensive user review tests that I can come up with, and uh, it's putting a lot of things to the sword. However, the few successes that I do have in the Llama Lab does mean it's a pretty damn good product, and I have had a few successes, so stay tuned for those. Yeah. Yep. Well, as ever, we know where to find you, um, um, Shane Miller, GP Lama on, on, on YouTube. Uh, thanks very much indeed, mate. Great to talk to you as ever. Uh, look after yourself and see you on the next Swiftcast when we will probably be talking about uh, a certain place close to my heart, Yorkshire. Thanks very much right. indeed, mate. Talk soon. Thank, thanks, Simon. And indeed, we will be talking about Yorkshire on, in fact, tomorrow's Zwiftcast. Uh, the Yorkshire course is being released only a few hours from now, and we're going to have a second episode of the Zwiftcast from Eurobike tomorrow, uh, and we'll get some impressions of the Yorkshire course fresh, hot off the presses for that. So, um, in summary, Eurobike 2019, or at least the, 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 the headline-grabbing parts of it that I've seen today and the smart trainer reviews that Shane has been preparing over the last few weeks. Um, I think we may have come across a little bit negative about Direct Drive's smart trainers, um, but maybe our expectations are higher than the delivery that the industry is providing at the moment. I think we've seen a, a minor improvement to some trainer models um, rather than any major upheavals. Perhaps Shane and I came across as a little bit unfair, maybe even a little bit harsh. But, you know, as we said just then, consumer expectations are very high in this area. Um, Eurobike 2019, the, the, the headline grabbing stuff has all been about smart bikes. Um, and of course, none of, the, uh, uh, none of them have yet been subject to rigorous testing. They look nice, for sure. Functionality looks great. 
um, very pretty, some of them. Uh, price is high, but um, they've yet to be really, really seriously tested in earnest. Uh, I'm sure Shane's going to be doing that as soon as he can, and that will be a subject that the Zwiftcast will definitely return to as uh, the data starts coming in. Um, anyway, that's it for this Zwiftcast. Hope you've enjoyed the Eurobike special. Uh, with a bit of luck, I'm going to be able to produce another episode tomorrow. There are a few bits and pieces I've yet to mop up with some trainer manufacturers who weren't quite as headline-grabbing as uh, the ones we gravitated to towards today. Thanks very much indeed for listening. Thanks as ever again to Zwift for their continued support of the podcast. Um, and as usual, I just need to remind you that um, I decide what goes in the Zwiftcast, not Zwift, um, which makes their support perhaps um, even more valued. Thanks very much indeed for listening. See you tomorrow. 